everybody. Welcome or welcome back to the Anne Marie podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. I would highly encourage you to either exit out and listen to these first couple episodes or listen to these after this review. My first two episodes, Two Main Religions and The Lie of Neutrality, are very important building blocks to understand all our other episodes here. So I highly encourage you to either go listen to those after this episode or to exit out of this one and go listen to those before listening to this episode. Today I am going to give a review of a Christian historical fiction book that I finished reading this month called Candle in the Darkness by Lynn Austin. I would like to start off by reading the verses that Lynn Austin opens part one with. First John 2, 10 through 11. And she has stated here that she got this version from the NIV. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is going to be an important theme that is throughout this book. It takes place during the Civil War. So if you are definitely reading this book, you're going to want to keep that in mind as you read it. But without further ado, I would like to share some thoughts with you. Don't worry, I will try not to share any major spoilers. All right, let's get started. This book starts off with the character of Caroline Fletcher. And throughout this book, we get to see Caroline's faith journey as she is continually asking Eli questions about God. She has some other characters' questions, too, about who God is and what is considered righteous in the Lord's eyes and what is not considered righteous in the Lord's eyes. At the beginning of the story, we see her starting to question the morality of how her family treats their slaves at the age of 12. It is important to note that her mammy, Tessie, and Eli basically raised her till the age of 12. Eli continually tells Caroline that we need to pray slash live out a thy will be done worldview instead of a my will be done worldview. This is an aspect that I thought was really good. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of goes along with Allie Beth Stuckey's book, You Are Not Enough, That's Okay. I thought this was a very important point to draw home, especially in this day and age. I think that is something that those of us trying to follow Christ need to be continually reminded of in order to keep our worldview centered on Christ and not on ourselves. Eli also tells Caroline that God will have his way with this war. He tells her to be on God's side and to ask God what he wants her to do during the Civil War. Again, this is a main point of Eli's that is even applicable to Christ followers in the church now, especially with the darkness that is apparently taking or trying to take a front seat in our culture. This leads into my fourth point that I liked about this book is that Caroline ends up learning how to stand up for God's truth and she applies that by taking steps to help end slavery. But at the same time, she also goes out and helps take care of the wounded and dying Confederate soldiers. 
I think I forgot to say that she is stationed in Virginia. She was born in Virginia. She does go and live in Philadelphia for a little while and then ends up going back to Richmond. And so she's essentially kind of stuck there during the war. I liked how, yes, she was on the Lord's side fighting for truth and really trying to discern what was right and what was wrong. And throughout the book, we see that in her mind, the North has to win because she just wants an end to slavery. But at the same time, she feels ties to her family members down in the South that are just so blind in their own ways that she has to find that balance between standing up for what is right and still do that while at the same time respecting the humans that are coming in and are essentially either on their deathbeds or in a state where they need help to recover. And I liked how Lynn Austin wrote that in this novel. I also loved how Caroline learned that God is in control of how long we live on this earth seeing the number of soldiers dying or dead and how expensive food becomes, Caroline realizes that our lives are held by a thread. I have heard, I think from a podcast before, that wartime brings this fact to the forefront. If you have listened to the episode I did on the biblical problem of safetyism, this point probably sounds familiar. God orchestrates every human life from the moment of conception to the last breath which is yet another point that i honestly believe the church has lost sight of a lot of the reactions to i'm gonna say the virus pretty much have brought this to life that we have very much lost sight of god being the orchestrator of every human life again from the moment of conception to the last breath and then I have just some smaller notes to make before I start talking about the things that I didn't really like or agree with in this book. But let's get on to smaller notes. If many people, unfortunately, both in and outside of the church, have Trump derangement syndrome, then Caroline's cousin Jonathan definitely had Lincoln derangement syndrome in this book. It was actually a very sad to see or to hear rather Caroline's cousin going on about Lincoln and what he was doing and blowing everything out of proportion and I did like how at one point Caroline said maybe he's doing this because it's the right thing to do. I liked that she did bring that up. A second small note I liked what Josiah Eli's son and Jonathan's slave before the war, well, before and during the war, said to Christopher after the war was over. Christopher ended up being Caroline's fiance in the book. Josiah made really good points exposing the darkness in Christopher as well as his own darkness that he had to come to terms with and start taking steps to get rid of. He also compared the life that the Confederate soldiers lived while in battle to the life that he had lived as a slave. My third point is that the men in the Confederacy that we get to listen to, their perspectives on everything, they all seem to have very condescending and arrogant attitudes. The more I read this book and paid attention to the attitudes of Caroline's father, her cousin Jonathan, her fiancé Christopher, 
that really kind of brought to light just the uh, condescending and arrogant attitudes that these men tended to hold on to. Also, one point of this book that I actually liked was where Caroline realizes after trying to change her father's mind about slavery is that he will never change. And that reminds me of a passage that I would like to read to you, Romans 1, 18-32. I will be reading out of the ESV. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. As this book goes on, it's fairly clear that Mr. Fletcher, Jonathan, and Christopher are still living in the darkness. They are among those who have been blinded by the darkness and their own thinking that will twist things around in order to make it seem like they're the righteous ones and they are more holier than thou when in reality they're actually the ones who are living in the darkness and have had a hardened heart. As we get to the end of the book, when Josiah is talking to Christopher, he brings to light some things that we've had a hunch, or at least I had a hunch, were part of Mr. Fletcher's past, but he talks about 
oh, what's the best way to say this? He brings up in passing some really just not God-honoring decisions and desires that Caroline's father, George Fletcher, has had in the past. I will say that this area is kind of a tough area for young minds and young ears. So this is why I would advise parents of kids, teenage and younger, to read the book and decide if this is content you want your kids to be reading or if you'd rather be reading it with your kids so you can explain it with them. This does not overpower the book, but because this aspect is a part of just how some, I'm not quite sure if all slave masters behave this way, but this is how some slave masters treated in particularly their female slaves. Moving on from that topic, the one aspect that I was not too keen on was the romance in this book. I honestly did not care for Christopher St. John as a love interest for Caroline. They just seemed to have very different morals slash values that didn't seem to carry well into a marriage. I honestly preferred Robert, who was the cousin of a cousin that Caroline had spent time with in Philadelphia. I should specify he was the cousin on the other side of that cousin's family. So he was not related to Caroline at all. But I did prefer him as a love interest for Caroline precisely because they seemed to have basic moral slash values in common. And later on, he reminds her of her moral stances. He also seemed to be the guy that could lead her closer in her walk with God, even though he did react a bit inappropriately later on during the war, knowing that he was engaged to Christopher. I still thought that Robert was the better choice of someone to spend the rest of her life with. That was just my opinion. I also thought that Tessie's courtship and marriage advice was not very biblically sound. I will note at this point that the book was published in 2002. So it is very possible that this part could change in a lot of later books by this author. I'm just saying that in this book particularly, I just thought this courtship and marriage advice was not biblically sound. I didn't think it had any roots that would be backed up by the Bible at all. I thought that Tessie's advice was based way more on feelings, which should sound familiar because our culture today is all about everybody's feelings, than on a biblical framework. Granted, Tessie initially learned about the Bible orally, so we don't know. Let me rephrase that. From what we can tell, she has probably not learned the biblical framework of courtship and marriage. I ended up understanding the reasoning behind Caroline and Christopher's love story and how they ended up together in the end, but I really just did not think that Christopher was the best choice. Overall, though, I would probably rate this book as four stars. I just wasn't too thrilled with the romance aspect of this, but I definitely thought that there was a lot of good theology. I am definitely interested in the two sequels in this trilogy. This is called the Refiner's Fire trilogy. And the second one I'm really interested in, it follows Caroline's cousin Julie and the preacher that she is infatuated with and starts learning about 
abolition with during this book. That's all I have for this review. I might do others in the future when I have something to review, but I still want to continue on with the series that I have wanted to do more research on and present to you guys as well. You can keep up with this podcast on Parlor at capital A-M, Riddle 8. Again, that is capital A, lowercase m, Riddle, R-I-D-D, as in dog, L-E-8. You can also follow this podcast on our website, anchor.fm slash an-m-riddle. This podcast can also be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Chromecast Player. Thank you for listening to this episode and enjoy the rest of your day.